Most people feel some type of way about menstruation. There are people who hate their periods, people who are ambivalent, people who think periods define women, and people who still somehow think periods are unnatural. In any case, most people have at least some beliefs about menstruation. In this episode, we focus on menstrual stigma, where it comes from and how it impacts people who menstruate today. Just a note, we'll be talking in depth about periods, and even though we'll make an effort to use gender-neutral language, we can't promise there won't be the occasional slip-up. If any of this content is triggering for you, you may want to listen at a later time. For now, though, let's get started. We're your co-hosts, Elizabeth, Anna, and Tia, and this is Hashed Out. Where did menstrual stigma come from? Well, it's not really clear. It's a long-standing stigma, encompassing attitudes ranging from passive to malevolent. Menstruation is cast as humiliating and is tied directly to the oppression of women. But if we fast forward to the 20th century, we can track the history of at least one part of menstruation, hygiene products. What did people use to manage their periods prior to disposables, like our currently popular tampons and pads that get thrown away after one use? Well, it was pretty simple. Women used reusable products that they washed after use and wore them again during their next cycle. Hold up, is that safe? Completely. Much like cloth diapers, cloth products to manage periods have been around a long time, and there's no evidence they're unsafe. Do you know what is unsafe, though? Wearing a tampon. Even though the risk is low, there's always a chance of toxic shock syndrome. And we don't know much about what even goes into tampons. Most are made of a blend of rayon fibers, but there are also natural care products marketed as bleach-free cotton tampons. Plus, OB Tampons, one of the longest-lasting brands on the market, and one of the few available tampons without applicators, has been studied and found to have detectable levels of pesticides in the final product. When the so-called femcare industry began, they created a problem only their products could solve. Much like razors, advertising was the most impactful avenue to change women's attitudes towards their bleeding. They went from managing their periods in whatever way was available to spending hundreds of dollars a year on products that weren't necessarily in the first place. We've talked about how we came to where we are today, with tons of waste sitting in landfills, all due to companies' insistence that women's bodies were problems, much like the makeup and beauty industries. But that aside, what's the problem? Well, the really tricky thing, oh, I keep dropping, oh, pronunciate, okay. Well, the really tricky thing about modern disposable products is that there's no oversight. They're classified as medical devices, which creates problems in dozens of situations. For one, makers aren't required to disclose the elements they use to create their products. So, the only way to see if pesticides, bleach, and other irritating chemicals are on the product is to see if they've been independently tested. And even if you purchase natural products like NatraCare tampons, you still have a risk of TSA. There are, and have been, a class of people working to improve the safety, accessibility, and reliability of menstrual products. Commonly termed menstrual activists, they try to fight government oversight on reusable pads sold by small makers, try to improve the conditions of tampons and pads that are disposable, and work to destigmatize menstruation in general. 
Unfortunately, even this group is divided on gender issues. Some are inclusive activists who recognize that some trans men and non-binary people menstruate and commonly use the term menstruators. However, there's still a frequent theme among many radical feminists and the second wave who believe only women can menstruate and it defines women, attaching them to an ancient legacy of female power. Menstruation is inextricably linked to female anatomy. Oppression based on menstruation is a long-standing problem in most cultures. From stigma against touching food and drink, to being able to do certain exercise, or being forbid from certain places during menstruation, it's not a new problem, nor is it contained to certain cultures. Nearly every culture has some form of menstrual stigma. Even in cultures with menstrual rights and coming-of-age celebrations for Menarche, menstrual stigma remains in the form of assuming that Menarche is directly tied to sexual prowess and adulthood. Girls may experience Menarche as early as eight years old, and plenty of cultures would still register her as an adult based on her ability to procreate. These threads are tightly woven into a larger picture of stigma based on women's bodies and the assumption that women are for procreation. Women's sexuality is also tied directly to menarche. The assumption that menarche makes a woman ready for sexuality or for having children is old and outdated, but remains in popular culture. The assumption here is that women's sexuality is explicitly for having children, an archaic idea that ignores other dimensions of sexuality, but the two unrelated concepts, menarche and sexuality, have become synonymous almost. Let's pause. What do you think about this topic? How has menstruation impacted your life? Let us know. We want to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter at sjed underscore iepy if you want to chime in. From what we've said, you might think menstruation and all the cultural norms that go along with it are broken, and we haven't said anything yet about how to improve the situation. It's not too hard, though. For one, have more conversations about menstruation. The stigma won't go away by perpetuating the silence forced on women about their bodies. Being able to hold a conversation about menstruation is important. If you don't know anything about menstruation, take this as an invitation to learn more about it, whether you menstruate or not. Learning about bodies and their processes isn't a chore, it's a human right. Two, you can help advocate for safer regulations on period products. This is a tricky one because many small business owners who sell reusable pads are completely against regulation. Right now, you can't sell reusable products without the proper paperwork to sell medical devices. And registering can be prohibitively expensive. Some of the most well-known pad makers are moms working from home, and they can rarely afford the thousands of dollars needed to not be shut down by the federal government. But disposable products are not regulated at all and it's allowing product makers to not disclose the materials that go into their product. You can also shop more mindfully by supporting moms who work from home or even buying from larger businesses like Luna Pads and Glad Rags. There's no shame in choosing to use disposable products, but being aware of the risk and the environmental impact of disposables is important. Finally, think more critically about how we talk about menstruation and what it entails. An eight-year-old girl is not a woman because she began menstruating. Women are no less women for not having periods, and some trans men and non-binary people menstruate. Being more intentionally inclusive is really crucial right now. Otherwise, we exclude groups impacted by the conversation.
Thanks for listening to Hash It Out. Do you have questions, concerns, or ideas for the podcast? Let us know on Twitter at sjed underscore IUPUI or Facebook as the Social Justice Scholars.